Now, <clears throat> we're going to begin today a series of messages that will take us through the end of September on family life, unleashing the power of family. Now, we have visited this subject uh, periodically over the course of several years, and we've compiled probably a dozen or so messages on various aspects of family life. And heaven knows we uh, all of us are in a family, whether we like it or not. We're in a family, and there's uh, a lot that the Bible has to say about family life, and, and we need it. We need to hear what God has to say because there's an awful lot of other stuff being said out there that uh, is really messing with us. And so, if you're interested, those messages are, are online at our website. I don't think we have any video on those, but they're all, uh, the audio is available. Now today we're going to start, as I said, a series of four additional messages, themes we haven't yet covered. Next Sunday I'm going to be talking about <clears throat> single parenthood and what the, what the Bible has to say about that because I consider it the toughest task. And I just feel like uh, there's not much that this... The, it's, it's like the Christian church is silent on this issue, as though somehow we ought to be embarrassed by the fact that there are parents trying to raise kids all on their own. And I just think that's crazy. And I think the Bible has stuff to say about that. And we have a lot of single parents in our congregation, and so we acknowledge that. But, even, but if that's not your situation and you're thinking right now, well, okay, I'll just skip that one because it doesn't apply to me. Let me ask you, to, that's up to you, by the way, but let me just ask you to reconsider because even if that's not your situation, and I pray it isn't, no one would sign up for that except some Hollywood stars, but that's another story. <laughs> Even if that's not your situation, you know people, you have people in your family and circles of influence who could use the help of scripture that God might want to bring to them through you. So anyway, let's be together next week to talk about that. Two weeks from today, Chris Amitrano will be talking about the digital uh, family and all of that that goes along with that in this day of, of um, electronic devices that keep us connected to all kinds of stuff a lot of which you don't want to be connected to, how to monitor that, how to, uh, to deal with that in the context of your family. And the Bible has stuff to say about that. Now, you won't find the word iPad in the Bible, but God has stuff to say about that, uh, this kind of thing, the principles involved. And then finally, we'll be talking about, the last Sunday of this month, we'll be talking about good sex. And we'll talk about what God has to say about, uh, about that so you can kind of salivate over that one or kind of prepare your... Nobody laughed at that. That was a really kind of, kind of a joke, but anyway. <laughs> but today, I want to talk to you about the subject of divorce. And we've been having trouble with our technology all, all morning, so I don't know what's gonna, if this is going to work. Um, oh, yeah, there we go. And <clears throat> I realize as soon as I say that word, divorce, that all of a sudden there's this <laughs> hangs over us because it's not a pleasant subject. How many of you uh, would raise your hand to say, I, I've been through a divorce? Okay. How many of you would raise your hand to say, my um, parents are divorced? How many of you would raise your hand to say, other members of my, uh, my uh, a nuclear family have been divorced? Okay, we're, we're talking about just about everybody, although there was a lot of people raise their hand every time, right? It is so prevalent, so 
that touches us in so many different, so many ways, none of which are pleasant. And so, for us to allow the the this subject to be unspoken or undealt with, to at uh, worse than that, let the world outside of the family of God be the source of information about how we think and how we deal with marital strife and particular, particularly and specifically divorce seems to me to be foolish, especially when God has stuff to say about it. Now, we're, although we're going to talk about divorce, we're certainly not going to cover all that you could talk about because there's so many specific areas that that uh, we might uh, and need, you might even feel the need to be, to be addressed. We're not going to be able to do it all in the time that we have this morning. And you wouldn't want me to. Your, your rear end would give out on you. But we are going to see something. We're going to see that this really, when God addresses this subject through, the, through Jesus Christ, that it's not about the end but the beginning. Divorce is the end of family that we hoped for, right? If we don't have a good understanding of how God views that and how that ought to be, uh, ought to be seen and thought of and considered in light of the scripture, then we won't be able to properly understand what the real goal here is, is how God wants us to avoid getting there. And that's the point of what Jesus has to say as we turn to Matthew chapter 19. We'll begin reading at verse 3. I want to uh, set the stage by uh, helping you to understand the context of Jesus' remarks because he's going to be speaking here. In that day, there were two uh, kind of religious parties. There were actually several, but there were two that um, were led by two renowned, respected rabbis, a guy named Hillel and a guy named Shammai. And they had many followers, and uh, they interpreted the scriptures often in opposition to each other. And so they were often the, the polar extremes of, of opinion about what the Bible has to say about things, the Old Testament spe specifically. And so they're, they're one, the ones leading this controversy about divorce. On one hand, you have this guy, Hillel, who took the liberal view. He believed that God, God's word said that you could get a divorce for any reason, and he meant any reason. You know, she burns the toast, she's out of here. He leaves his dirty socks on the floor, gone, you know. He really literally meant any reason, divorce for any reason. On the other hand, you had this guy, Shammai, and he took the legalistic view, and he said that, in his opinion, the Old Testament did not grant divorce for any reason except the most uh, egregious trespasses of, of adultery. But it had to be really bad, you know. And so you really had these two extremes, divorce for whatever or no divorce for anything. And that's the background here that Jesus steps into. The Pharisees, which were the religious elite, want to try to do anything they can to discredit Jesus, and they're going to try to use this conflict, this controversy, to do it. 
So verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Notice they're testing him. They don't care what he has to say. They don't want to know. All they want is for him to say something because they know whatever side, they can only imagine there's two sides to this debate. And whatever side he chooses to take, the other side is going to abandon him. And that's what they want. Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You'll recognize those words. Some of you have heard them at a marriage ceremony, a wedding ceremony, or you've uh, remembered that they come from the first part of the Bible in the book of Genesis where it talks about how God created Adam and Eve for each other and brought them together. Verse 6, So then, because this is true, so then, They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so as they try to trap him into this debate about, you know, the grounds for which you could get a divorce, Jesus said, wait a minute, you guys are asking the wrong question. Why aren't you asking the question, not the question, how can we end this thing, but why aren't you asking the question, How can we keep it together? Because it was never God's intent for a marriage to be dissolved. Never. He said, remember, in the beginning it was not so. You know, you have in the in the garden of, or excuse me, in the generation uh, of Genesis, (laughs) I'll get this right. In the Genesis record of the creation. We have this pattern of God creating and then saying it was good. He creates. He said it was good. Creates. He said it was good. And then he gets to the creation of man and he says, this is not good. Not that his uh, creative uh, expression in, the, in, in, um, in bringing Adam to life, that there was any problem with it. But what he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And it wasn't that God somehow forgot. You know, He created Adam and he goes, oh, dang. I should have made a partner for him. No, he had this planned all along. But he said his first words about uh, marriage were, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he sets about, uh, about this process of preparing Adam to bring Eve to him. And when he does, Adam says, whoa, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I don't know where my skin ends and hers begins. Where my uh, skeletal system ends and hers begins. We are one. And that's what, the, that's what the scripture records for us. God says in Genesis, as he brings them together, he says, leave mother and father and every other, uh, every other support structure, every other allegiance, leave that behind and now... Focus on one another and only one another to the point where two become one. And that's what God's intention is. Guys, you're asking the wrong question. Don't you remember? It was God's plan from the beginning that two people experience complete unity. Now, our world tells us something else. 
the model the world sets up for us is that two people come together, but the seam between those two lives remains intact. Why? Because, well, things might go bad and you want to be able to separate. God says, my intention was that the seam would disappear. So he says, when you're talking about divorce, you're not talking about people unzipping something. You're rending the fabric of a whole cloth. That's not what God intended, guys. That's where Jesus begins to speak to them. And I want you to see that Jesus' teaching on divorce is that he proclaimed God's intentions for love united hearts. That's what God intended. Now, it does say in Malachi chapter 2, 16 also that God hates divorce. And some of you have heard that. Sometimes preacher creatures like me will use that phrase to, I don't know, try to scare people into keeping their marriages together. Well, you'll hear, you know, people raise their voice and say, well, God hates divorce. But that's, that's not God saying, I hate divorced people. Did you know that God is divorced? In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, it says that God has had to write a certificate of divorce to uh, his bride Israel because she was so engaged in spiritual adultery, worshiping false gods. God knows what this is like. And he says, I hate what divorce does to people. Not, not that I hate divorced people. Then he goes on, and, and in verse uh, 7, he's, the, the, the Pharisees, they think now they've got him pinned down because he has said, in not so many words, but they, get, they think that he is say, siding with the, the um, uh, Hillel faction, or excuse me, the Shammai faction, that you, know, that you can't get a divorce for any reason. And so now they come back to him and they say, well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? In other words, Jesus, don't you recall that in the Bible, God spoke through Moses and said, you can dissolve a marriage by writing a certificate of divorce and giving it to your spouse. What do you say about that, Jesus? And they think they finally got him. Jesus says in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. They come to him, they think they have him nailed. And Jesus acknowledges the limitations of sin-constricted hearts. He says, yes, that's in the Bible. No, he doesn't discard it. He doesn't do away with it. He acknowledges that, yes, God gave that to you. A method for appropriately, in a godly fashion, severing a marriage. But he said, here's why. Because of your sin-constricted hearts, the hardness of your hearts. Now, I'm of an age that when I go periodically to have blood work done, I'm very, very interested 
in the hardening of the arteries of my uh, you know, body and the blood vessels because I don't want the, the flow of life to be restricted. But Jesus said the, the, the result of sin upon your lives has choked off the, the flow of my provision of love so much that sometimes there's, there's violence, and I don't mean just, uh, uh, you know, some sort of abusive violence, but I, th there's such a, a destructive thing that happens to the fabric of a relationship that there's almost can be no recovery because you don't have the capacity for the flow of my love to fix it. Sin has clogged up the plumbing of my love so much that your hearts are like stone. And so... God has made provision for that. And the reason that he's acknowledging that, and the reason I bring it up, is because I want for you to begin to see with me that what he says next is not, he is not saying that you're stuck in this marriage unless one or the other commits adultery. And that's, that's what often is heard from the church. And like, I, look, I've been a pastor for a long, long time. I've walked with couples through just about anything that they, you can imagine. And I know people who, who have been, whether it's been uh, abandonment and all kinds of other horrific things, but the offending spouse did not commit adultery. And the, the offended spouse then feels like they are stuck if they're going to obey the word of God, that they're stuck until, and then they start wishing for the offending uh, uh, party to, to commit adultery so they could be free from this marriage. And it's just goofy and, un, and unbiblical. Jesus isn't saying that. He recognizes, look, there's some stuff that happens in the context of marriage where the hardness of your heart just won't allow uh, uh, recovery. That's not the end of the story. And we'll get to the end of the story in a minute. But I want you to see he's not saying that the only way out is if somebody commits adultery. I'll tell you why. For one thing, the word that he's using here. When he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, that's oh, the word porneia. It's the word we get pornography from. It's not the word for a specific the specific word for adultery. It's talking about any kind of sexual activity that would be inappropriate in the context of a marriage. I'll also refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul expands on this and he says this, he says, if there's a believing spouse and you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wants to stay with you, then stay in the marriage for the sake of your kids and for the sake of your testimony influencing the unbelieving spouse. But if that unbeliever departs or leaves the marriage, and we need to be careful about the, how we understand these things because I'm, I'm counseling with somebody right now whose spouse has said, I don't want to be married to you. I don't want to work at trying to reconcile this marriage, but I can't afford to live anywhere else, so I'm going to stay with you. Well, he's left the marriage even though he's cohabiting with her, right? Jesus said if they leave the marriage, 
the, the remaining spouse is not bound. That's the word that it's used. And then later in the same chapter, he says that if you're married and your spouse uh, passes away, the widow or the widower is not bound. The same word. And he's talking about the fact that you, there is uh, freedom to uh, divorce and with that remarry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about how we aren't supposed to be uh, in relationship. We're not supposed to even eat with people who, have, uh, who are on a course of, of purposeful rebellion against God, including um, you know, all sorts of sinful activity. We're not supposed to even eat with them. And he says, now I'm not talking about unbelievers, because if you had to separate yourselves from unbelievers who are sinners, <laughs> good luck. But he said, I'm talking about believers. And if you're not supposed to even eat with an unbeliever who's involved in gross uh, sinful activity, how can you be married to them? Paul is expanding this. And I don't mean to say that, you know, that, that Jesus is acknowledging that, you know, when anything goes wrong in a marriage, you have grounds for divorce. I'm just saying that he is clearly not being uh, hard-nosed about this. He understands that there's stuff that gets to the bedrock foundational uh, aspect of what a marriage is, which is trust. And when there's sexual infidelity, that trust is severed. What do you have left holding things together? When a spouse abandons the marriage and just has nothing more to do with you, what do you, the trust is broken. How do you keep that together? When you're being violated and abused, how is that, how, how doesn't that, erode completely out from under you the, the, the foundational trust that the marriage is built on and what's, what's left there. Jesus is acknowledging that. But I also want you to see here that he's pretty clear about the fact that if you're divorcing for the purpose of remarrying, in other words, I don't like this one, I want that one, you don't have any case with God about that. He says... He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. At some point, even when the, in the worst case scenario and a marriage dissolves, at some point, what God said first and foremost about marriage, that it's not good for man to be alone, comes into play. But it's never our first choice. Mar uh, divorce should never be our first choice, but here Jesus constraining us towards a devotion to married life because we are not stuck with stony hearts. In fact, the Bible says in looking forward to what Jesus would do, that he would give us hearts of flesh for our hearts of stone. That the capacities for those, for the uh, flow of the, the power of God to heal, to change, to mend. The, the Holy Spirit's available to, the ab availability to give us what we need to be able to see recovery to marriages even in the most difficult of circumstances is, is so profound that Jesus says be tenacious about marriage at the same time that he's acknowledging uh, that there are issues that sometimes are beyond repair. 
So I want for you this morning to join with me as we come to the conclusion of this message in understanding that from the beginning, God meant for us to have healthy, happy, lifelong, fulfilling and rewarding marriage relationships and he has provided everything that we need for that to be happen happen or for that to happen where we will trust him with it but let's be a church let's be a people who aren't so um, cold-hearted and uncaring and rigid in our legalism that we don't understand that there's times when something else needs to take place Sue and I have been married for 41 years. Most of you know that. And, um, but we almost didn't make it past 10. And we wouldn't have if we had done what we thought we should do. If we had done what we thought our, or if we had done what our neighbors thought we should do. If we had done what, we, what our world would said we should have done, we wouldn't have stayed together. We would have missed 30 years of bliss. But thank God, there was enough of an understanding in our hearts about the things we just talked about that we made a very, what seemed to us to be a simple decision that had huge and profound impact on our lives. That simple decision was, I'm going to ask Jesus to help me. That one choice unlocked so much healing and recovery for us can for you and those you know. This is recording number 11177 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 6, 2015. This is the first message in a series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Dilemma of Divorce. Caring for the wounded while contending for commitment. 